And I would say that that has still affected my work in many ways. I mean, of course I have ignored it and of course I have got on with my work. But quite often I think the gatekeepers who were there then have metamorphosed into another kind of gatekeeper. I'm Diana O'Connor. Welcome to the Dingle Lit Podcast. Diagwit agus falta dan podcrail fela litterha corfiguina. Each year, at the end of November, Dingle Lit Book Festival brings together a unique weekend programme of events in English and Osgwelga on the Dingle Peninsula. In this episode of the Dingle Lit podcast, we'll be revisiting a live event with two grand dames of the Irish literary scene, Eilish Nguivna and Evelyn Conlon. Eilish and Evelyn are discussing Look, It's a Woman Writer, a collection of essays from 21 Irish female authors and poets, reflecting on the feminist literary landscape over the past 50 years in Ireland. Mia Collarin chairs the conversation and we'll join them now as she asks the authors how they came to writing. In your essay um, that you contributed to this, Eilish, uh, you talk about Amy March um, from Little Women um, and how she says that talent is ingenious. And she kind of says that to, to say that not everyone is basically following their dreams of, of wanting to do something. And, and I wondered if you could both tell me about your first relationship with writing. Well, um, I wanted to be a writer um, and from childhood, um, from when I was eight or nine and started, I was a great reader, a theme that runs through the anthology actually, um, many of the writers say that. And uh, yeah, it was, I because I liked reading so much, um, I just wanted to be, you know, I wanted to write my own books <laughs> um, and be part of that world. And um, I have to say, I got every encouragement from the school. I happened to go to the same school as, as Mia in Dublin, uh, School of Rita. And, um, you know, this was in the, I guess I started in 1959 or 1960 um, or so. So, this was the dark ages of Ireland, we might think, you know, but and school was very different then from what it is now. But um, there were no writers in schools or anything like that. But it was still encouraged, yeah. And and even more so when I went to secondary school in, in, in school Katrina uh, in Eccles Street then. And um, I just held on to that ambition and nobody thwarted me. I mean, nobody said, you can't be a writer or, or anything. Yeah. Subsequently, I found out hmm, it's it's curious that um, there are very few women writers around, but I didn't notice that at the time. Because an interesting thing is, you mentioned Amy March, and of course Jo March, she comes up all the time in this anthology, is always, uh, she does become a writer um, in, in Little Women, um, and she's a heroine for the for, for, for children who, who want to be writers, I guess. Um, but, um, yeah, she... Um, the, the children's books were often written by women like Louisa Alcott and Joanna Speary, Heidi, and all the rest of them. Um, and of course, the most often mentioned writer in this book, Enid Blyton. And um, the women writers are not in the least bit pretentious. <laughs> um, and, um, but then, you know, when you go to college or, or even secondary school, the book I loved most um, in secondary school was the collection of short stories 
uh, Exploring English Part One, um, edited by Gus Martin, with all those fantastic stories. And really, it, only when the um, it was reissued for, I suppose, nostalgic reasons a couple of years ago, um, I noticed, gosh, there are only two women in this book, like Mary Lavin and Catherine Mansfield, represented by what seems to me to be her worst short story, The Fly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what have you, Evelyn? It, it changes every time I think about that, really, because now I've listened to Eilish, I just realised it, it, that's a different... I would answer this differently than the last time we shared a stage, which was up in Bangor. I always wanted to be a writer, like from the age of whatever, seven, eight, nine, around about the same age. I can actually remember a day in which I wanted to write a novel. I wanted to be a novelist, although I didn't know what the word meant. <laughs> As in that I didn't know there was a difference between short stories and novels or whatever. Um, and I was thinking about that recently uh, in, in, in a side story when an old woman and Claire was saying to me about the priest. She had confessed uh, to a, a sin of a sexual sin, and the priest asked her, had she taken pleasure from it? <laughs> and she said to me, we didn't know what pleasure was. <laughs> and I was thinking, was it that she was talking about they didn't know what pleasure of the thing was, or that she didn't know what the word meant? <laughs> so I'm going back to that. I didn't know what the word novel meant, but I still wanted to write one. But I, I, um, I wrote a, a, an essay. I had one teacher, Bridge Doherty. I was in uh, St. Louis in Monaghan, and uh, I wrote an essay and won the European Schools Day essay competition. She made me put it in. I'm, I'm not a good person at, at, at entering competitions. That was sort of, I suppose, interesting. And then I remember writing something about uh, foxgloves. And this is kind of odd. I heard that she had brought this around to different classes and read it out. So I'd say that was my first engagement with the notion. But really, in a way, I'd say I had, I had had stories published in New Irish Writing, and I was well on my way to other things before I would have had the nerve to even think of the possibility of calling myself a writer, which is something that happens women much more than it happened then, or certainly then. I'm not so sure that that's the case now. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. And actually leads me on to my next question, which is in keeping with the theme of the anthology. But I wanted to ask, do you guys, have you felt that there is a difference being identified as a female writing in Ireland versus a male writing in Ireland? Well, that's a very deep and <laughs> difficult question to answer. Um, Okay, what do I think about that? Um, I, I, my, my sense of the whole literary scene now is that, certainly as far as fiction is concerned, that it's an equal playing field. Um, and, you know, the newish new writers, like who, some of whom are here, like Sarah Bohm and Claire Keegan, obviously, Sally Rooney, these kind of younger women writers, I don't think they're identified as women writers and they don't need to be and you know they're it I, I, I think that diff, it's different now from what it was when we were starting out yeah. and um, and I think you know revolutions happen slowly this one has but I think in a way we 
I fought the battle. Is I mean, it didn't, it didn't feel like fighting a battle to me. But things change gradually, as and we were part of that change. And now that's kind of even. But I think certainly, oh no, when I started, there's no question. Um, not when I not when I was in school, or um, even when I started publishing my stories, like in New Irish Writing with David Marcus in the 1970s. Um, I wasn't really conscious of. Uh, the woman writer thing at all. But by the time I was writing my first book, absolutely, because in fact, when I got my first book together, a collection of short stories that had been written over about 10 years, the first publisher I came to was here in Dingle, Grandin Press. I went down, I carried them down to Steve McDonough, whom I described this in the essay. Uh, I thought I had a baby hanging out of me and my book in my arm. I thought I was great. And Steve. <laughs> <laughs> wearing red corduroy something <laughs> that was the sling yeah so um <coughs> steve the sling was yeah you everyone had a baby in a sling if they had a baby um so um steve actually said this he said he published the stories and but he said i'm really surprised that you came to me because all the women are going to attic press and the the, the women's presses and um and in the end, he didn't publish the book. He kept it for a year and then pleaded financial difficulties, which they were always in, I think. And then I ran off to Atta Press and got it published. But, <laughs> but, but um, and, you know, I, when I wrote my first novel, The Bray House, which is a futuristic kind of science fiction-y sort of novel, I remember being interviewed by... Um, you know, the, on the arts show. Mike Murphy. Mike Murphy, yeah, kind of great person, big booming voice. Now, Irish, you've written this book for women and about women. Come on, this is a science fiction novel about nuclear holocaust in Ireland or something. And yeah. But it, you were pigeonholed, yeah, you were pigeonholed. It's not happening now, though, I don't think. Yeah, and have you found the same, I think? Um, I think being a writer for anybody is difficult um, at any time. Uh, there's a huge thing of you're, you're the person who has decided to do it, and this doesn't matter what gender you are, you, and you're doing it uh, against yourself, um, and it's a very solitary and a very difficult thing at times because you have to make yourself do it, and you know where you're aiming, and nobody else does, and they have to live with you in the meantime or interact with you and you have to do this and yet at the same time you're still doing that. Certainly when I was starting, um, <clears throat> without a doubt, if there had been no Ireland House and no Attic Press, there are many women who would not have been published in Ireland. And what's more, I think that the revolution, if that's what we want to call it, that is there now, in which the level playing field has been kind of reached, kind of, um, it wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for Attic Press and Ireland House, simply because, without a doubt, the editors in places were saying, no, I'm not going to touch that. Now, I would have had a slightly different experience to Eilish because although I had had two short stories published when I was quite young, one of them was written when I was about 16 or 17 and one a few years after that. But then, because of the issues that I was writing about or the, the characters that were in my stories, um, most definitely, there was, we will not publish that. And it includes, unfortunately, 
the aforementioned David Marcus, which I hate talking about. I still hate talking about it uh, because he just absolutely could not stand the idea of what I was writing about and how I could possibly think that this would be acceptable uh, and also how I would have imagined it. <laughs> I hadn't even imagined it. <laughs> there you go. So I would have certainly had quite a difficult time and I would say that that has still affected my work in many ways. I mean, of course, I have ignored it. And of course, I have got on with my work. But quite often, I think the gatekeepers who were there then have metamorphosed into another kind of gatekeeper. Yeah. And I think, for instance, so you're asking the question about men and women. Anyway, I don't really like talking about my own thing, really, because in a way, you know, I just kept at it. Um, but unfortunately, there would be people who didn't. That also includes some men. But there would certainly have been a lot of women who didn't keep at it. One of the things I think, the difference I suppose is, you know, what's going on at the moment now uh, in the context of some writers are huge PR stuff, like ludicrous PR stuff, to the point where when you pick up the book and it's just a book, you're actually disappointed because you thought it was going to, I don't know, what it was going to do to you. So that is, is happening for one, two or three people and then the other people. And all of this is part of our culture. And yet, in fact, we're not seeing the voices. So I, the other voices. So in a way, it's still the same thing, except that it's, 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 it's for different people. Because if you take, for instance, the male poet, if you were a male poet at the time of Seamus Heaney, your life as a writer will have been affected. There's no doubt about it. Simply because it suits, uh, it's easier to concentrate just on one or two or whatever, rather than on what is, in effect, the voice from their culture. I mean, I see our job as writers, or, or our job, or, or our lives as being Within Ireland, at the time that we live in, although I'm also part of the world and I've, I've lived other places and I've written about other places a lot, but I see it as part of an overall culture that, that is both literature, music, painting, all of that. And when we concentrate only on what they say are the chosen or the designated few, we dismiss ourselves as people I think we need to be continuously saying more than the few voices that the PR machine has decided to deal with. And that's probably actually worse now than it was when we were beginning. I think that's something I actually loved about reading this anthology, though, was that there are 21 contributors in it. And, and I discovered new writers while I was, was reading through it. And then yeah. I went and researched them, and then I got books out of the library. Um, yeah. And I wondered what... Because also I should say that, that this anthology is published by the eponymous Ireland House who yeah. we've been speaking about, which I think is, is quite symbolic in our conversation. But what prompted you, Eilish, to want to compile this anthology? I ha have always felt that I was born at a lucky time for um, a female who had literary ambitions or interests. Um, uh, and that I, because, you know, 19, uh, born in 1954, all the birthdays are available in this book. So 21 women whose age you will now know. Um, some of them I didn't know before. And uh, yeah, but uh, anyway, 
even though that was a dark time for Irish women, and, and as, as we know, and um, Irish writing as well, the days of censorship, etc. By the time, you know, I was 20, the whole scene was changing. You know, gender equality was, was happening, you know, um, in life in general. Um, so, I, and, lit and in literature as well, um, there, there was no, I'm pretty sure there was little talk about gender equality in my mother's day in the 1950s. She had to give up work, um, even though she wasn't working in the civil service. Once she got married, no work, no job. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure what that was all about. But um, all of that sort of thing was changing. Contraception was obviously not legally available in Ireland in the 1970s, but it's a becoming, it's, it exists and it's becoming available and so on and so forth. Legislation is changing and the literary scene is changing so that it was a good time. And I feel I belong to, I always felt, gosh, I'm so lucky. I belong to this group or school of writers who were born in the mid 19th, 20th century in Ireland and who, for whom the timing was right and lucky. And I can tell my story, but um, thought, I think they should all be telling their story. And they're all, you know, they're nuanced. They're not all the same. But um, they certainly have in common that they started writing and that they're still writing. Like, they're all <coughs> in their 60s and in their 70s. There are two others here, actually, um, in the book, Anya Glynn and Mary Rose Callaghan in the audience. Um, and they're still writing. Uh, they haven't given up. And they've kept on publishing over you know, 30 or 40, 50 years. Yeah. So um, it's, I kind I, I, I think it's, I, I feel this is one of the big revolutions in Irish literary history. Really mm. the most significant one, <coughs> maybe since Yeats and the Celtic revival and the Aviokan and everything, um, that this, the, 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 women's, the women's writing question is one of the huge big changes. And we were there, mm -hmm. writing ish, <laughs> yeah, yeah. part of it. So I wanted that to be documented. And there are twenty-one writers. I don't know. There are I don't know how many more there are out there from the same demographic. Uh, I don't know if there's another twenty, but I'd say there are. There's mm. another twenty-one. There's room for more of these stories, and I do hope um, that they get told. Just to you know, tell it from the horse's mouth, what it was like, what happened, the question you asked at the beginning, when did you start? You know, my idea is that there have always been girls who started writing when they were eight or nine years old and who thought, I'd love to be a writer. And I'd say they gave up more, but I think we belong to the generation where, well, if you had a bit of luck and so on and you got published, because that really is key um, to keeping going, um, that, that 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 we were the ones who kept going, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and the title of the book actually comes from from your essay in it, Evelyn. How did you come up with that title? I wondered. Do you write the same as Norman. I haven't a clue. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, actually that was a line in Evelyn's essay, and I said, Evelyn, why don't you call your essay this? It was called something like why I became a writer. I forget what it used to be called. And you do too, obviously. Yeah. But um, So I, I called the essay Lucas Woman Writer. And then, like many books, it was, go, you know, finding the title. It, it had various titles. Um, and I thought, why don't we call the book that? 
and I circulated it to um, some of the other contributors, and they said, yeah, that's a great title, let's go with that. So, so Evelyn has a great uh, way with the words. I mean, for the pithy phrase is one of your, the one-liners, you're very good at the one-liners. So in this case, it kind of came from Evelyn and, and migrated to the title of the book, yeah. And it's ironically meant in your uh, essay, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And it still is. But, uh, um, who does she think she is? Uh, I'm just thinking when Eilish was talking there, <clears throat> I edited um, a, um, a, with Hans Christian Arthur, with, done by Brandon Pre No, 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 done by uh, New Island, Cutting the Night in Two, mm -hmm. which was a collection of short stories by Irish women writers. And I only wanted it by people who had actually done a collection of short stories rather than novelists who'd written the odd one. And I was astounded by that. I was astounded by what I learned and who writers I found. Uh, and what I found interesting was that years and years later, that when Sinead Gleeson was doing her, uh, The Art of the Glimpse, no, 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 the other the one, the first one. The Long Gaze Back. The Long Gaze Back. She talks about the fact that cutting the night in two, she had been astounded by that as a young girl, woman, she had found this book and she had simply not known that there could be such an anthology of Irish women. So for me, a lot of times, and then we'll come back to, because you'd also been talking about that thing about, um, you know, waking the feminist, which was the reaction to uh, the fellows in the Abbey deciding to put on all plays by, by men. I mean, unbelievable, but I mean, it happens. It still happens. You'll go to events and, and without them even thinking, every single writer they mention will be a man. And, you know, it's just too embarrassing at this stage. I ignore it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's, that's, it still happens. But there was a very interesting thing because a number of people got on the stage at the Abbey and they spoke about what, what their reaction was and how they felt about it. And Eleanor Methven, who would have been, some of you would know her name, Sorry if I'm squinting a lot. It's the lights are in my eyes. It's a bit, but I can kind of see it. But she mentioned that uh, she had been involved with Sharabank Theatre, which was a theatre in Belfast, which was very feminist orientated and was a great theatre. And she mentioned that she hadn't been asleep. Now, that is actually what I was feeling as well. I was sitting there and I was thinking, excuse me, hold on a minute here. You know, uh, I'm not sort of going around saying, you know, I have worn the shoes off my feet at demonstrations, mm -hmm. which I have actually, but <laughs> I wasn't actually thinking that. <laughs> I was just, you know, ruminating and thinking and bringing myself back to an experience that I had. When I, uh, I left Ireland when I was about, I went over to Australia by, on ship when I was about 19 and we won't go into all this, and I stayed there for a while, and I came back over by bus across Asia and came back to Ireland. And I had a child. I came back <laughs> to finish my degree and have a child. I was very young. Uh, I had, and then I was going to leave Ireland again or whatever. Anyway, this is not what happened in my life. So I had one child, and I went to university, and I started the creche in Maynooth, with the first child. I got uh, uh, pregnant, I had a second child in second year and I separated from my ex-husband in third year. So it was a busy few years. <laughs> so the, the, the original story that was to happen didn't happen. 
you know. So maybe in a way that is the background to where my work came from as well when I stayed here. My work might have been very different if I had actually yeah. managed to flee the island. Uh, I stayed and, and probably resented it for, for a number of years. But I'd say about seven or eight years into it, I suddenly realized it might have been the only favor that my ex-husband had ever done me <laughs> to make me sit here in Ireland because mm -hmm. it's a better place to have been. But that's an aside. When I was doing my degree in Maynooth, and I was doing sociology, and we had to do a mini thesis. I think it was in third year. <clears throat> and <clears throat> I wanted to do uh, continuities and discontinuities in the women's movement in Ireland in the 20th century. Now, I wanted to include the ICA, the Women's Social and Progressive League, any of the women, and there were some radical women in the Irish Housewives Association, uh, and I also wanted to, and then of course Irish Women United, but the Irish Women's Liberation Movement and Irish Women United, and the more radical I was, the, where, the more they were going to get space in my essay, there's no <laughs> doubt about that. But I was also going to make sure that the ICA, anyway, got, got, got there, because there were quite interesting women, really interesting women working with them. I, decided, I presented this anyway, and to me, they just scoffed. That's not sociology. I had to fight to get the essay accepted as a mini thesis in sociology. And I mean, you could do, I mean, how amazing. Now, this is 1977, I think. 77, around about that, or maybe 78, something like that. But when I went, so they accepted it in the end. And when I went to do it, I had moments of extraordinary joy when I met somebody like Hilda Tweedy and interviewed her, and a few other women in particular, whom I just, I was just sort of stunned. I said, like, God, there were, these were, these Irish women existed. And I was so delighted with myself, and then followed by a massive depression to think that we had not known about it. So on the one hand, it's brilliant, and then on the other hand, you just become so furious that this hasn't been part of not just education for females, but for males as well. Like that, so in a way, I would see Cutting the Night in Two and this book and all those others as ways to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Yeah, that, awesome. that, 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 the, that the whole bit takes, is, is part of who we are. Completely, and I remember when I read it, because um, I read it in two sittings, uh, I just ate it up, I thought it was brilliant. And I was so interested to read actually all about Ireland House, because I didn't know much yeah. about the history. And I felt so proud reading it to think yeah. that all of this had come from Ireland, but also sad yeah. and angry that I, I, I had mm -hmm. gone to work in publishing and I never even knew about this. Yeah. And that was my own fault for not researching it. But that, that was actually my favourite part in the whole anthology. Yeah. It was the end and realising kind of the lineage that we were... Ireland has and Attic Press and yeah. Women's Community Press. And by the way, you know that, and I mean, the, the sad story about that really is, is that Roisin Conroy essentially was the person within Attic Press to, in its end, as it was ending. And Roshan got motor neuron disease quite young. And she sold Attic Press to Cork University Press. Now, I have to say, this is the thing that worries me slightly. Cork University Press own everything that's in Attic Press. We, and, it, and that seems to have disappeared down a rabbit hole, which is something that if uh, younger people with a bit of energy who might be beginning in publishing might really, I think, have a look at that. I was really struck actually by Onini Glynn's um, essay in this um, when she was talking about an experience she had in Dingle um, 
in the hospital when she met um, Peg Sayer's son, who encouraged her to keep writing um, and also to write in Irish and in English. And I'm really interested in bilingual writing. And when I read The Dancers Dancing, it struck me so much because um, there's a section in the book where sort of English is rendered in Irish. And it, it's so fascinating. And I think for me, when I read it, to see these two languages put side by side in the <coughs> same book meant so much to me. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the space that Irish and English writing has in Ireland. I think we're often lauded so much for our writing in English, but, mm. but our Irish writing is also so important. Absolutely. Um, and um, I, I write in the two languages, um, so I have, I suppose, a foot in both worlds. But Anya is better able to talk about this. And I mean, Anya Nicolene, who's now the Children's Laureate, um, it, it, for, for children's literature in Ireland has written that she's invisible. You're invisible. You're not. We can see you there behind your mask. But <laughs> <laughs> she's taken off her. But as an Irish language writer, she's she she she's she's invisible. I mean, we know about Anya here in Dangany Coosh, um, and in the uh, Irish language circles, and I, because you're children's laureate, you're kind of not so invisible anymore but um but yeah irish language literature is there in its own kind of little world behind a curtain that is seldom pulled back by the rest of ireland and you know little attention is paid to it it, it hardly gets reviewed in the uh, irish times which, for which i review regularly so i'm you know i like the irish times but um you know it's very seldom now that you see uh, a book getting a review um, in those pages um, are in any, yeah, in any mains, really mainstream um, publication or um, program, even Arena, my, which I also love, and Sean Rocks from Monaghan has, yeah, sure. has a good couple of cookies. <laughs> I mean, he seems to be Agzanish Moranivalish. Eglavenanuk sounds pretty good to me every time he says it. But, um, there's an invisibility. I mean, in terms of the gender, Keshen um, Hinchkina, the gender issue in Irish, I think Irish language literature has also uh, made, there's enormous progress there as far as the women's position, because that was bad and all as English literature in Ireland was. Irish literature and Irish yeah, was really awful <laughs> as far as gender mm. representation was concerned um, until relatively recently. And I mean, the number of novels, I think in the 20th century, um, about three, a, good, a goodly number of novels uh, Skelga were written, about 300, and of those, about 10 were written by women. It's just extraordinary, you know. Um, that's, that's changed, and the po poetry kind of um, has, uh, I mean, there, there are good many women poets, and of course, some of the most prominent of the Irish language poets have been women. But still, you know, um, this poem um, that some of you will remember, Ban Illa by Sean O'Reardon, he read it at, I think, Donald and Moose in 1973 or four when Anya was writing poetry. I was graduating from university, Inti was there, and Nulni Golan must have been starting. Um, is that in a filla? She's her dumb, I paraphrase a bit, Gorgono Firene, Filiac the Harring das Tonga. And then he goes on in the most using the most sexual language to express his fear that if women start writing poetry, they'll 
won't want men to impregnate them with children anymore. <laughs> like, he makes this leap. That was Eilish Nguivna and Evelyn Conlon in conversation with Mia Colleran as part of the Dingle Lit Book Festival in November 2021. You've been listening to the Dingle Lit Podcast. If you want to hear more, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also watch the interview online, look for Dingle Lit on YouTube, or go to dinglelit.ie for more information on upcoming events. Thanks for listening.